Welcome to the Stepping Out of Line podcast hosted by me, Leo Gibbons. This podcast examines those who have, in their own way, stood out from the crowd and stood by what they believe in. If you share my fascination with public figures who are not afraid to be themselves and follow their own path, this might just be the podcast for you. And now, to the preamble. My guest on today's podcast is Nama Cates. Nama is an actor, a singer-songwriter, but also a podcaster and researcher. I became aware of Nama because of her work investigating the incel community, a community of overwhelmingly heterosexual men who describe themselves as involuntarily celibate. The mainstream view of incels is that they are either basement-dwelling oddballs who can't get laid, a butt of jokes, or that they're quasi-fascist, a new radical misogynistic movement that is fermenting a violent and anti-woman culture in our society. Nama's work highlights that while there is a grain of truth in both these ideas, they are far, far from the entire picture. Nama is open that she does not share the common values of the subculture that she's investigating, In fact, lots of what they say really repulses her. But she has been willing to examine a stigmatised subculture with openness and empathy. For this, she has received mountains of hate and abuse. In this podcast, we learn about Nama's work and the reality of the incel movement. We hear about the hate she's received for treating lonely, isolated radicalised men with dignity. We discuss modern dating and we scratch the surface on the reasons why this movement has sprung about. I also open up about my own experiences as a cripplingly shy young man who struggled to form intimate relationships with women for many years. And though I am now in a happy long-term relationship, those years still bear scars. I know lots of young men, personally, None who would embrace the incel culture, but who feel locked out of the dating world, locked out from finding intimacy. We are meant to be a more connected world than ever, but it often doesn't feel that way. I think there is a conversation to be had about isolation and loneliness among young men and women, but the reaction to Nama's work suggests that maybe... We're not yet ready to be able to have an open and candid discussion in society about social media, dating apps, the sexual revolution and the structural changes in society that leave so many young men falling into this damaging subculture. Nama has stepped out of line and this is just a small part of her story and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Here with me today is Nama Cates an actress, singer-songwriter, writer, producer, and the creator of the Incel podcast. Nama, welcome. Thank you for joining me this evening or afternoon where you are. I have before me a definition of a moral panic. 
which I'm going to read out. A moral panic is a situation in which media reporting has created a folk devil of a particular social group and the public demand of the authorities that something is done about it. Folk devils refer to a group whose common interest or activity has been stigmatized by society and becomes the target for adverse comments and behavior. A moral panic is a mass public movement based on false and exaggerated perceptions or information that exceeds the actual threats society is facing. My first question to you, Nama, is has the incel community become a folk devil and are we living through a moral panic around incels? I would say so, definitively. I've even described them that way. And a few pieces that I've written, both as folk devils and um, as the subject of a moral panic, one of many moral panics we're experiencing currently, I believe, but my area of interest. Yes, just they, they have the, whenever there's, um, you know, a, I mean, of course, these things, mass shootings are a very big deal and very big problem. In your country, they don't really happen, but they did recently, one of them. Mm-hmm. And in my country, unfortunately, there are, I think, the rate of two a day now. Shootings where four or more people, including the perpetrator, die. So quite a serious problem here. Um, but when they happen and when they happen in, you know, absence of any kind of explanation, which it is usually the case, these things defy explanation. People look for one and one that they've been turning to recently is incels. This is someone who is an incel killer. People that are um, experts on the topic of, or call themselves experts on the topic of extremism and the people in media who report on that could probably rattle off anywhere from 10 to maybe maybe less than that, 10 to, to 15 possibly incel attackers, so-called incel attackers. And when you look at these cases, none of them stand up to scrutiny except for maybe one or two. So in the U.S. context, you know, these these mass shootings are sort of mind-bogglingly prevalent, but actually the numbers that are related to incels is fairly insignificant. Does it really add up? I guess there's, you know, the Elliot Rogers case, which is probably sticks. That's the one I'm aware of. That that's of- the only one that's really invalid. So... It's not that the attacks that are called incel attacks are um, insignificant. Uh, a lot of them are very lethal. The lethality of these attacks that are associated that way is very high. But the connection between the attacks and anything to do with incels doesn't stand up to scrutiny, in my opinion. And I've looked into these very closely. Uh, Jake Davison, as you know, the Plymouth shooter, for instance, mom, this was the first mass shooting in your country in a decade or more, um, has been called an incel uh, killer, an incel attacker. And I've written a lot about that. He He's not one. I, I wouldn't call him that. I don't think that... Um, I think that's just a falsehood, uh, objectively. Part of the issue is that the 
the term incel, which is now kind of online speak or in the playground being used as a kind of an insult that's kind of thrown around that it there seems to be some confusion on whether someone is socially isolated they are lonely they are kind of single um and then someone goes on to commit a crime they are therefore seen as part of the incel community even if they wouldn't describe themselves as such and wouldn't kind of really associate themselves with the, the incel language or the you know the incel kind of community. I was going to say incel ideology, but that's something that you've spoken about. There is no real ideology. That's not, it's not like a you know far right grouping or far left grouping or it's it's something else, which I'm sure we'll get into. But because it's it's so hard to define, that's why these these attackers or these incidents can be branded as incel motivated when they often is that the case yeah i guess you could say that but um you just used a very specific word which is motivated right Incel motivated um yes it's possible to label someone an incel in, as far as just the categorical definition of of incel as in someone who is you know lonely who doesn't have relationships is a, a virgin who's very online even we could go a little bit further um I think that if you start to talk about a familiarity with, with the culture, which I would call it a subculture or a community, or the worldview, you could say that the black pill is a worldview, then I'd say that you could call that person an incel and you can say that they were is someone who was immersed in the culture, but you just use the word motivated. And so if if we call something terrorism or you know violent extremism, motivation is very important. If someone happens to be an incel or a Muslim or a Christian or a leftist and they go on and commit an attack who because they have a personal issue with someone in the attack or because they are you know enacting vengeance against someone who they believe wronged them or any issue that's not in the cause of furtherance of a, of a cause a political aim an ideological aim then you can't say it's motivated by whatever subgroup they're in. And it's important to make that distinction. Um, and the, the problem with, with incels, one, is if we go by the categorical definition, it's highly likely that most shooters will meet the criteria because it's someone without anything to lose. You know, That's just probably who's more likely to get to that level of desperation and, and rage. Um, and then the other problem is like what you sort of um, alluded to, which is that I don't call themselves um, a movement because a movement is a group of people connected by a common goal and incels, they don't have a goal. And how can you say that something, again, is terrorism if there's no goal? And has there been any movements within the incel community to try and formulate a an ideology around it or you know this is what we would like to achieve this is the society we would like to create or is it just a bunch of you know lonely and often misunderstood individuals talking online it's it's more the latter because they're fatalistic there have been a few very pathetic attempts i've seen throughout the years that i followed it to kind of organize make a little even like a twitter private chat uh 
about some kind of political goals and stuff. And, you know, first of all, they weren't negative. They weren't violent. They weren't terroristic. Uh, and secondly, they just didn't really take off the ground. You know, they just kind of littered away into nothing. Um, and the, oh, the first question. So, you know, as far as an ideology, I would say that you could say that they have an, an ideology, um, in a way, a worldview that's called the black pill that's pretty specific to them. But but that ideology, not only is it nonviolent, it's non-prescriptive. It's just kind of, this is the way the world is. There's no, this is what you can do to make it better. There's no, this is what we need to achieve. There's nothing like that. It's just a very nihilistic, sort of fatalistic worldview. I wanted to avoid doing this with this particular podcast of going through and breaking down all the kind of terminology of the incel groups because I presume that anyone listening to this would be kind of aware of your work and aware of the incel community broadly but it might be helpful just to go through a few of the terms I'm, I'm aware of red pill blue pill from the matrix and you know blue pill is like take this and you'll stay as a normie and you don't realize you won't see the true world as it is take the red pill you'll find out how just screwed everything is and you'll kind of your eyes will be opened but black pilling, you might need to tell me what the black pill kind of ethos is and how it quite maybe might form a ideology as such or worldview. So, yeah, so the black pill is a derivative, I would say, of the red pill. Um, most normies, most blue pilled people would look at the red pill worldview as harsh um, and a little bit cynical, but compared to the black pill, it's not. Because <laughs> with the red pill, at least you can sort of gamify the system. And, you know, people have started to use the terms black-pilled and red-pilled just about anything, about any topic. But the I think the foundation of it is really about um, dating, largely about sort of human mating and um, attractiveness and, and sexuality and, you know, being an alpha male and all these kind of topics. So... Where the red pill, for instance, would recommend pickup artistry, which is this these group of guys that kind of coach each other about, you know, going to the gym a lot and how to pick up women, right? Pick up artists. Um, the black pill recommends none of that. So the, the black pill is, incels will tell you it's a collection, just a collection of studies. And it is mostly based on studies that are polls deliberately to sort of prove the so that the I'd say the most important tenet of the black pill is uh looks money status that looks are the most important thing mm -hmm. um for women and that you are born with you, you get some hand in the genetic lottery and if you are uh, a low tier male you're just doomed you know there's no hope for you um you you know, height is a big issue, and sometimes they talk about like getting surgery to extend their their leg length, and they talk about plastic surgery. They talk about all kinds of maxing, but for the most part, it's just you know, you are uh, a low low value for sexual market value. They have all these initialisms, SMV and LMS is low, and you know you're doomed to just sort of slave away being a what they would call a wage cuck. And the studies are all just things that confirm that. So they, they look at Tinder studies about what percentage of men get swiped right or left on. There's a lot about that. There are some studies about uh, 
you know, uh, how people that are taller are more likely to be CEOs of companies, just a lot of things like that. That's mostly it. <laughs> yeah. And so I assume it's Blue Pill, you're unaware of this reality of how kind of, you know, we are biologically hardwired to find certain individuals attractive and you have that. There's a lookism bias that is a structural hurdle you just can't overcome. Right. So like, and once you're aware of that, you've sort of had the red pill and then the kind of mainstream red pill attitude would be, well, work on yourself, you know, go to the gym, you know, get some nice fitted clothes and you can maybe, you can maybe ascend, which is that what ascending is when a incel, you know, meets someone, you know, ha- actually yeah. has a relationship and they ascend to like right. normal, nor- Nori's, normie, Chad light status. Yes. Yeah. And a, and a black veil is essentially you, you, you are so aware that you understand that you'll never be able to overcome those kind of structural issues that you face as a you know um perceived less attractive individual so therefore you should just dwell you should there's almost kind of a a righteousness to actually i'm not going to play the game anymore and i'm going to speak the i'm going to speak the real truth that the people don't understand exactly and but that's that's still quite nebulous that's not really a an ideology it is that binds them as a kind of mutual kind of understanding, but there's still not really a cause. I guess the only counter I could think of is there is an ideology of misogyny, I guess. Yeah. Of like, that's the sort of, that's something that just hangs over, for obvious reasons, kind of hangs over the um, mm-hmm. community of a, a sort of, I don't know, an entitlement or a, or hatred resentment i would say it's resentment um yes uh misogyny is indeed you know a common theme and the black pill is misogynistic in some cases i would say there is a lot of just rank awful misogyny in the community um and the terms and you know awful things about women but with a lot of incels, I would say that the misogyny manifests more as kind of an anti-feminism rather than a misogyny. So the way that we have nowadays anti-racism, wherein, you know, if you're not actively seeking to fight racism, then you're racist. Uh, you're not anti-racist. It's kind of like that, too. It's whether the target of your resentment isn't the outgroup itself, it's it's the fact that you believe that outgroup is privileged. That's how a lot of incels are. Most of the ones that come on my show, I wouldn't say have uh, that uh, as a palpable misogyny where they hate women at all. I don't I don't feel that. Some of them, sure, not all of them. A lot of them don't. But what they do have is the belief that women are privileged. Women have social privileges far beyond men and so that's where you know that's where their resentment comes in um so it's not really as virulent as people think but there is a lot of also very toxic disgusting misogyny in the community i guess that's why the topic of female incels is quite controversial because a mainstream incel would say 
they can't exist because women can get laid. Correct. If they Correct. <laughs> and I've actually heard female friends say similar that actually, you know, a woman can go on a dating app and if she wants. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> it true. Really, um, I know there's almost, it's one of those things where like stereotypes, there's almost it's like grain of truth in it. You know? Most of them have, I would say, yeah. Mm. It's just that there are exceptions and there's usually a lot more nuance than uh, the stereotype would portray, but of course they have truth to them. Uh, as far as stem cells, you know, I've, I've actually had one on my show. Yes, most incels don't believe that they exist, but a lot of incels are open to this. And this was an exploration I did with the dating app. I was I was asked to do it to see if I could make a female profile that wouldn't get matches. <laughs> so, you know, I tried to make one that was very unappealing and she did indeed get a couple matches, but they were clearly wanting to, you know, they didn't respect her <laughs> and I could tell. And so femcells, they are not involuntarily celibate. They are celibate, but they they point out that they, yes, they could technically get laid if they wanted to, but they don't, but they would just be being used. And it's it's not connection and it's not intimacy, which is what incels really want more than sex. It's it's about connection and intimacy and feeling valued. And so women don't feel valued just by a meaningless sexual encounter where they know that they're not respected. So they're saying, if if I can't find a, a relationship or something that's more than that, then I'm going to be celibate and, and that's a femme cell. And some incels accept that definition. And I understand you, you started the podcast after an experience with an incel who have slid into your DMs from what I've heard you talk about, it's essentially they slid into your DMs, you thought it might be about business and then realized it wasn't going anywhere. They eventually they acted a bit strange. Then they said they were an incel and you're like, this is really interesting. Why would you describe yourself as an incel? And then kind of wanted to understand the community a bit more. But then you've, there's being kind of broadly kind of curious and then there's doing all the work that you've done in the podcast you've produced. It can't just be curiosity. And that, what I'm getting at is, did you ever think actually this is a very serious issue in society or this is an issue that could lead to violent radicalization or the amount of young unhappy men is an issue within itself? Was there for day one did you feel that actually there's just something bigger than a curiosity of these slightly strange oddballs? You know, like, was there something bigger at the heart of it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, all of those things. Right away, when I was curious, I think like most people, I had um, heard about it in terms of its association with with terrorism and with violent extremism. So I knew that that was... Uh, actually, I thought that that was more, mm, you know, connected to inseldom than I believe it is now. I, going into it, I thought that that was more of of something that happened and that this was a group where people maybe become radicalized. And um, and I, I was very reluctant to make a call about that for a long time to say that, like, no, I really don't believe that happens. I For a very long time, years into it, I would say it's such a small 
percentage. It's it's people with a predisposition. This could make it worse for them. Um, now today, I I am comfortable saying it it doesn't happen. These websites and these forums do not create violent people. Um, and going on the forums does not make somebody more violent. Just an absolute no. Um, I don't think they're necessarily healthy for people. I think they can keep people stuck. But I think it's they're kind of like a canary in a coal mine, and they, uh, you know, are representative of problems that we do have in society with people who are lonely and people who are isolated and people who don't fit in. There's a lot of talk about tolerance um, and diversity of all sorts of, you know, stripes. But we actually, I think, are living in very conformist times culturally. So that's not really genuine. And people that don't fit in, I feel like they don't have as much. I feel like the, you know, social media has a lot to do with it and the internet. There's, there's all these factors sort of converged um, and some political issues too. But I feel like in the past, maybe people that didn't fit in had social groups still with their own kind of um, scenes, you know, for outcasts, whether they were kind of art scenes or goth or punk or whatever it was. And just don't feel like there is much of that today. And I feel like it goes online. Um, so yeah, this is, it's, it's a larger societal problem and talking about incels as a form of violent extremism does not help. It makes it worse. It draws more attention to it. If people really believe that they're violent extremists, then, you know, the more coverage they get, the more people they will send that way. Um, it's just our approach to it is awful. I guess there is some fear that the incel community does seem to be certainly linked with 4chan and forums that are similar of that ilk. Yeah, I where which are politically right leaning they are have a certain kind of gallows dark ironic humor there is, and then there is a whole movement now at least in the last decade or last few years of a kind of alt-right and alternative far right which is based very much around um publicly expressing yourself through irony and humor to hide your true you know, extreme political beliefs you know like in a way that it's um i say that because as no particular expert but i was listening to louis through talk about his documentary on the american alt-right and he said actually you know when the mask slips these figures have quite extreme far-right opinions but will hide behind a, you know, edgelore sense of humor and a sort of banterousness and that's often cover for their real beliefs. So they'll draw someone in with edgy kind of humor and playfulness and whoops, I made a joke about a word I shouldn't say, etc. But that's a way of drawing in people to far right political beliefs down the line. And there is a fear that there is and this is just a fear me trying to summarize the moral panic idea there's a alt-right sphere there's a manosphere mm. misogynistic hookup artist right and then 
And then there's the incel community, and they all kind of circulate in a similar blob. Yes. See why people have fears that an incel goes onto online community, find finds their community online, and drifts into problematic YouTube videos that are very political in nature. Have yeah. you found that actually that journey rarely happens? Rarely happens. Yes, rarely happens. It's true all of these groups kind of exist in the same galaxy and have a similar language. A lot of them came up at the same time and a lot of them are kind of offshoots of 4chan. 4chan culture, they use memes similarly. The language has a lot of crossover. Um, and they like to be subversive. And sometimes incels will kind of say, they'll, they'll shout or whatever, they don't go on Twitter, but they'll, you know, post things that seem like they might be an alt-right or far-right position, but they're really not at all, and they're just saying it to be subversive and because they, they want to, quote-unquote, make normies seed. And there have been instances of this time and time again, like the uh, overturning Roe Ro versus Wade, the Dobbs decision. Um, you know, I spoke with Mary Gates, Gill author, about this for her show, and she... She told me that um, her husband or someone else had said that like incels were celebrating this, but when she went to look for examples of that, it was not the case. She didn't find any. It was people saying, oh, incels are going to celebrate this. Incels themselves were saying, this doesn't affect me. I don't have sex anyway. <laughs> you know? and, and there's actually been, um, at this point, some studies, academic studies. I was, I was involved in a couple of them, and then uh, William Costello did a great one of the incel community and their political views and they are mostly non-political um there is a small less than 20 percent that are left-leaning and an even smaller portion that are right-leaning and then that wow that really goes against the preconceptions that we have of the incel yeah. as being a political community they're not political at all yeah it so goes against the idea. If I picture my head, I of an incel, I think of someone you can know, basement dweller yeah. who is angry at society, and is kind of you know votes for Trump. And it's is it ironic? Is it not? Who knows? That's our mind. And they're very angry, and they're violently angry towards women. When actually, it's often very lonely individuals and isolated individuals. And you've also mentioned that often it's a phase for individuals. So they will have like a, many will ascend, many will eventually are late believers, they'll gradually grow in confidence, they'll meet somewhere. Yeah. But I do think there are, it is an issue in itself that Ooh. community exists. Have you got any ideas as to why this phenomenon has come about now? Well, again, it's this is like a cheap answer, but it's it's the right, it's the true answer. It just doesn't it doesn't do much for us. There's not much you can do with this answer, which is social media and technology. Uh, there's not much you can do that because we can't turn the clock on that. Um, but I think that that you know is a kind of multivariate issue. There's on one hand the fact that we are literally farther apart because we are dependent on technology. Um, so people are more isolated in that sense. 
Uh, on the other hand, there's um, it, everyone on social media is kind of like their own public relations representative and presents a very curated image of themselves and their life, making it seem as though they are having more fun and more, you know, popularity and more more sex than everyone else. Uh, I think that sort of, um, you know, it, it augments the feeling of being isolated. Then dating apps, of course, um, which almost goes without saying, pe people are given a tiny little 2D image to instantly swipe on the illusion of infinite possibilities. Yes, of course, that's going to negatively affect a group of people, you know, more likely to be um, men who aren't always great at taking pictures of themselves and things like that. Um, and yeah, then then there's some, I think, some more kind of social issues that come into play. But but those are, I think, that the technology stuff is is such a big component of it. At the same time, I think that this is a community that is a community because of the internet in a sense it, it's a these people have always existed but they now they have a club because they can go online and talk about things that they would probably feel too much shame and embarrassment to talk about otherwise and uh, on one hand i think that's healthy for people they can find that they do find connection where they wouldn't before and they they can talk about things that they might have kept bottled up, but then the way that this community is run, it's not really like a great <laughs> positive support group. I heard that the the original incel forum or forums were essentially self help pages. You can express, you can be anonymous, you can express yourself and your difficulties in your love life, and individuals going through a similar experience can offer you support and advice and say, yes, I went through a similar phase. This is how I managed to get myself out of it. And then along the line, it mutated into its own subculture. And that's subculture that is often not particularly healthy because it is deeply misogynistic. And often people will wallow instead of taking those steps, get out there. And it, it's always this quite difficult um, relationship with saying like, self-improvement and red pilling <laughs> and it's actually almost to be like there's probably a grain of truth in yes there is the, the red pilling that actually mm -hmm. you can self-improve and you can gain confidence which is probably the number one issue really often in these cases i think the issue of dating apps is particularly fascinating for me i I found dating apps revolutionary, but like me personally, uh, I probably went through the ages of the age of 16 to 24, apart from a brief relationship at university, I was essentially in this incel category. If some really wanted a relationship, but was kind of <laughs> just consumed by anxiety and a lack of confidence to make that often make that first approach or make that key approach mm -hmm. you know you're being quite friendly to someone in the kind of lecture theater and then to make the like oh would you like to grab a coffee that fine yeah is a classic example but with dating apps it was like oh wow this is so much easier and feels safer. and i've heard similarly that 
they can work well for men who are chads, <laughs> not that dad, but also they um um also yeah. for men who are relatively attractive but just lack some confidence so they can be yeah it's true absolutely broadly they seem to me quite damaging i think for all sorts of reasons but particularly if you are you know don't know how to take a good photo of yourself Mm -hmm. don't have the gift of the gap when it comes to using the Mm -hmm. very much learned you know i yes i know the exact lines to say and how to Mm -hmm. but if you don't know those tricks of the trade can really isolating and yeah. upsetting you, but I'm not getting any matches. And there is some data to say for lots of people that is their experience. Yes. Um and I just yeah, I just feel like we've yet to really have a we've yet to have a conversation about some of the problematic outcomes of modern dating and how it's done because of a baggage around incels so to have a kind of wider debate around whether dating apps are healthy actually you know individuals are having less like the current generation having less sex than the previous generation loneliness is increasing we struggled to have a debate around those causes because we are very scared of saying anything that could sound slightly incelly does that make sense would you agree Interesting. I have to think about it. Um, yeah, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, something. Yeah, something that would sound kind of incelly, or yes, that could be associated with that. That would not be blue pilled. That would sound. Um, that would reflect on on humanity in a way that's maybe a little bit negative, or yeah. Yes, because in a, in a way, it's it's saying to, by making these arguments that saying actually. If X percentage of women have a um, something on their Tinder account which says they don't see any male accounts for anyone who's under six foot, that's a big one. Yeah, you know that's the classic one. Um, What impact would that have for lots of men? How would that make them feel? Suddenly, it sounds a little bit like you've nibbled the red pill a little bit. Yeah, and you are challenging women for very reasonable kind of sexual preferences in their own choice like, what do you mean i'm doing something wrong that because i prefer to all objective after there's so many men on this app right this is, this is a way to kind of just narrow down the sheer numbers yes. um suddenly it can it's difficult to have this debate without sounding like you are accusing women or certain women for you know, having too much freedom. Yes, this, right. Exactly. You know, Does that understand? Yes. Does that make sense? Bingo. Robert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Um, pointing that out, pointing the fact out that some men are discriminated against in, in a way, um, is, it sounds like it shouldn't, but it sounds like a criticism of women, a personal one. And it's not because we're talking about the aggregate. So it's no individual woman needs to say, well, how dare you um, shame me for my sexual preferences? And, and that it, no, because it's not about your individual preferences at all. It's not about individual making that call. It's about what does it do on the aggregate? Um, and, and the fact that 
you know, certain certain men never even get the chance to be seen because of those criteria. And in reality, I think most women probably wouldn't really know how to tell the difference between six feet and five ten, you know, uh, and probably wouldn't care if they met someone who was five nine that they found charming or what five eight or whatever, you know. But yeah, it's it's a way to narrow things down because of the illusion of infinite options, which is not reality, because um, you know, all of those profiles that you're seeing are not necessarily just because they're being presented to you doesn't necessarily mean they're available or interested or you know it's also you're now not looking only at the options in your community but like in your entire whatever 50 kilometer radius or whatever you set so it it ends up seeing a lot higher and then it's uh, i think it's also that what can you do about that like what what does knowing that allow us to do again is this an actionable uh observation <laughs> give short men a chance Right, because you know what? Is that a grand method to uh, fight insult him? Yeah, I, I think what does happen. I mean, I, I don't really know. It's it's hard to say anything like this beyond the anecdotal. But I would guess that that kind of thing doesn't work out that well for women either. Having the, those kind of narrow preferences, I just don't. I don't feel like attraction often works that way, and I feel like. Maybe a lot of people probably come to a point where they realize that that's not that important, but maybe not. I don't know. I just... Yeah. My experience would be you know, when I was in, in my, my lowest about these things, probably in my early 20s, I'd go to football games and see the kind of balding, plays away, swinging football fan and go, well, he's got a wife at home. <laughs> right. Actually, you know, in the end, you will be able to find someone and, and patience is important. Um, but then when you're experiencing that isolation, it's it's not so easy mm-hmm. to be rational. It's easy to kind of point the finger at, at dating apps because they're so kind of sort of consume our lives at the moment in the dating realm. I guess there's kind of broader issues in the way that the sexual revolution has opened so many kind of open doors for so many women and expanded the dating pool where previously, you know, you would find someone in your teens who was in the same village, yeah. you married at a local church mm. and you were there and, you know, there was extreme social pressure to stay together for the rest of life. No, those rules have, you know, been kind of ripped apart. And it yeah. broadly across, like across the board, that's accepted as a really positive thing. This was like liberation. But then again, it's a similar thing to say, actually, maybe there were some men who lost out because of this. And yeah. have that debated again. Oh, you're sounding a bit incelly again. Around actually saying, well, has the sexual revolution worked for everyone? If some men, you know, made their experiences being a lot difficult, um, and actually, has it been great for women in all circumstances? I guess that goes on to bigger issues, but I think fundamentally there might need to be an open debate of, around why this community exists, and what yes. it is, and what about society can be examined we wouldn't need to have any kind of policy prescriptions right here and right now 
be able to discuss this community without the baggage of you're sympathizing with the far right or you are giving time to violent misogynists that you know are terrorists which is stuff i was gonna basically say and ask you about some of the stuff that's come coming away for doing this podcast series like the the crazy attacks and what what are the what is the usual argument that's kind of thrown you away by critics well i don't really engage with them anymore and i don't really look anymore at the negative reviews or things like that um at the beginning it was shocking i mean i had never experienced anything like that i would wake up in the morning and see you know the plus whatever infinite notifications on twitter and it would just be some article or a podcast made about me calling me like wow yeah (laughs) saying there were entire podcast episodes made about one podcast episode that i did how i was you know encouraging a violent incel to to see sex work just crazy crazy stuff people didn't know what they were talking about um but there was yeah there was a ton of that um a ton of just twitter nonsense there were attempts to take the podcast down from a few people um and mostly i i would say that the the things that bother me more because i took them more seriously and still do take them more seriously though not entirely seriously is that the the countering violent extremism community cde that i you know sort of work in an adjacent space to I feel like the conversation about insults has really changed with that community, which is great from the beginning of the time that I did this. And a lot of them respect my work and have followed my lead with studies of the community. And that's great. And I'm really happy about that. But the more I, but, but that, that sort of image of this is, you know, dangerous misogyny and this is part of the alt-right. And this is part of accelerationism just still exists it doesn't go away despite all the data to the contrary and so you know i feel like i regularly kind of come into just conflict with, with them a little bit you know there are there are articles too from these think tanks like there's one called the mainstream pill about how i'm whitewashing incels and this is like something that people take seriously for what reason i don't know but (laughs) because it's it's this group called political research it's in my opinion nonsense but to have like a a so-called academic article that you know names you in that way is not great yeah i can imagine that's incredibly daunting because you're trying to understand the community in a way to in a way, combat, not combat the community, but combat the circumstance in society that leads so many young men to feel this way. And then to have individuals say that you're essentially offering a smoke screen to extremism, that's such a severe allegation. I can understand why that would be, um, yeah, quite a worrying thing to experience. Yeah. Why would anybody, why would, why would I do that? Why would anybody do that? You know, like accusations, accusations that I'm a, a mouthpiece for the incels, like 
what really people really believe that it's it's wild another reason that i think studying incels could be important is because even though i personally do not believe that this is a dangerous group where people will mobilize to violence there are still there are similarities between it and other extremist groups in terms of the, the reason that people might be attracted to it the way it kind of works internally etc cetera, etc cetera. so if we learn more about this group then that might apply to other groups that might have more of a predilection to be violent so i think it could be important in that respect and yeah so these accusations just are mind-blowing did you ever have any doubts yourself that when you were doing the podcasts that potentially you were you know, sipping the incel kool-aid you were becoming one of them you were <laughs> yes i do yeah of course and then it's like um that like am i being radicalized you know to to say that there's nothing wrong with this well nothing there's obviously not your argument isn't that there's anything wrong with this community your argument's much more nuanced than that but do you ever have those fears yeah of course of course and and I mean, at the beginning, yes, I completely, well, I wanted to, I just, I wanted to be open to that possibility. Um, and I was accused of it so much uh, that, you know, by people that seem like they might maybe know what they're talking about or just, you know, strength in numbers. There were enough of them doing it that I questioned it. And, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll read something and I'll sort of second guess Maybe some things I say, but at this point, with this much time in, no, I I know that I'm not drinking any Kool Aid, and I, I think I see it for what it is. Having one made to, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> well, I'm not the Because if, if people actually listen to my my podcast actually carefully, I I challenge them more. I sort of gently disagree with them when they start especially when i when i know them a bit more you know and if they kind of follow the, the podcast I, I never really endure I, I might agree with again very nuanced a specific point here or there about lucasism about you know on and on but um but i never agree with things i don't believe and depending on how well i know the person i do challenge them a bit it seems strange that actually when we look at various different forms of extremism we often try and look at the socio-economic circumstances that lead to those you know, those causes becoming as large as they are and people becoming radicalized or even about the people's personal experiences whether it be mental health issues or trauma what in their background would lead to them to finding extremism you know and becoming radicalized it seems to be at the stage currently there isn't really that debate within the incel community even if you put one side yes they're not not a kind of ideology or terrorist movement there are individuals in a way being radicalized yeah often a very misogynistic yeah. idea being black pilled yeah. there seems to be that lack of trying to understand where these individuals are coming from and why exactly yeah that's i mean i would say the main purpose of the podcast at this point that is that is you know and, and i had a little bit earlier on i had more you know mental health experts and people talk about trauma and things like that i don't present it so explicitly now but with everyone that i have on i think it's implicitly 
a theme that comes up is the trauma and childhood and the experiences that have led people to be where they are. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, maybe it's too new of a topic, but there have been enough, God knows there have been enough academic papers about other aspects of the incel community, you know, analyzing the words they use on forums and all this real, real valuable stuff. <laughs> um, and there hasn't been that. And yeah, with other forms of extremism, ones that are far more mm, serious, I would say, and potentially and, and hateful, um, that is examined at least, I think, probably not as much as it should be either. But I, I know that there have been many talks about that. I almost feel like there's one thing that attracted me to your podcast and the, and the work that you were doing was from my circles, actually, there is a, a wanting to be understanding and to understand the circumstances that lead people to radicalization and not see them as just kind of evil or, you know, wrong and just purely wrong, evil individuals who should be shamed and destroyed and thrown in jail. When it comes to the intel community, the circles that I am view them very differently. It, it seems to be a moral panic. And there's lots of you know, high-mindedness on, you know, lefty intellectual circles accusing XYZ to be a moral panic, something used by the media, mm -hmm. they kind of, the lay people will gobble up mm -hmm. and pursue, when actually the incel community seems like a moral panic that has absorbed the tribe that think they are immune to falling for the moral panic traps. Does that make sense? So I find that really fascinating. And I presume the individuals that are sending you you know, the hostility are, you know, what the, what's the sort of tribe of the individual who's sending you? Yes. Of you? <laughs> I can, I can, I can picture it, but I'd love to hear it from your own work. Um, lots of, you know, progressives, feminists, leftists. Yeah, that's it. Uh, a lot of, you know, people who consider themselves intellectuals too, you know, mm -hmm. people vaguely in media or academia. That's it. Yeah. That is the, that's mainly Twitter, <laughs> you know, that, the world that, and the world I inhabit. And I just felt actually, you know, you were in a way kind of stepping out of line to study this group with a certain level of empathy and understanding in a, and your motivations were inherently progressive in realizing that this community were problematic there's a deep misogyny within it, but let's try and understand where it's come from. Right. And then how it can be challenged in a productive and healthy way. Isn't that the more progressive attitude, really, if we're being honest? <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't get you as many likes on Twitter. No. And the, <laughs> the people who call themselves progressives just don't, aren't open to it. I mean, a few of them are. I feel like I've changed some minds, a lot of minds maybe, but not the majority, not, not nearly. <laughs> And I guess, finally, are you optimistic about the future that actually the tide is turning and the understanding, understanding of the installed community as one thing, do we have a better understanding now broadly, I say we as kind of the, the media or 
intellectuals on Twitter or whoever, whoever it may be, um, do they have a better understanding of the Intel community since you started your work? Do you think that attitude is actually better towards them? Or has the moral panic just sped up and sped up and sped up and got bigger and bigger and bigger? Um, and then finally, do you think that the, the some of the circumstances in society that are leading to this Intel community being formed and growing, do you think we're starting to have a debate about some of the, a genuine debate about some of those reasons that have led to the insult community coming about on the last question no not yet uh, but that's enormous that's a lot to tackle so you know it's it's really hard to see and to say on such a macro level whether we're doing that it's also hard you know on all the questions when one is ensconced in one's own echo chamber as we inevitably become when we use social media and everything else it it becomes a bit hard to, to say you know am i getting um a representative view of people's opinions or is this just because this is you know these are the people that i associate with so it's hard to know whether i'm right on this but my my sense is is actually that the people do the, the conversation has changed since I started. I do feel it's changed. When I started in 2019, there were two or three academic papers about incels. That was it, and then some really sensationalistic media pieces. And the the academic articles were just these like word cloud things, you know. And and now there are quite a few about incels and. I feel like that community, the CBE community that, you know, the counterterrorism people have definitely um, have become more nuanced in their understanding, um, for sure. And I feel like people in that community who really deal with threat assessment on, on a level like that, not the media, but the actual you know, people in, obviously, people in law enforcement are not concerned about themselves, period. Like, I know that's uh, they're not, you know, and people in, in counterterrorism are are not really either. And then some of the people from the, that conversation has changed, I feel, and it's gotten better just by virtue of the fact that there are multiple um, academic articles now that have a very nuanced perspective on incels. I feel like that's probably had maybe a little bit of an influence on the way media covers them, but that's still really bad. But I, I don't feel like it's gotten worse. I don't. There, there was a point between when I started um, and say some point in 2020 that I felt like it was getting worse and I feel like it did. But since then, I feel like net, net, it has, hasn't gotten worse. Um, so at least there's that. I know because I'm approached by them all the time, you know, producers of documentaries and TV shows wanting to make shows with like a sympathetic view on incels and things like that. And I don't know if they're actually going to do that or if they have a different kind of agenda, but at least they're talking like that. You know, that wasn't the case some years ago. So it seems like a little bit of a positive. I think we're getting a better understanding of this community. And then hopefully at one point we'll be able to debate the circumstances of the circumstances have led to so many individuals falling falling into the arms of this kind of community, which I still think is really damaging. Uh, yeah. But I still think there is something there to 
have a discussion about um, mental health and the sexual revolution and the new um, the new kind of army of manosphere influencers and mm. you know, where they derive their ideas from and, and why they why they, they and why they grabbing so cool. yeah exactly. you know why they're being so popular mm. um, I guess the most mainstream one is. Jordan Peterson, his similar idea. I don't consider him a part of that at all. I think that's a mis, uh, misnomer. It's just a, because the, the, he's been associated with making a statement that he never actually made that we, it was misunderstood, broadly taken out of context. So yeah, people put lump him in there, but I really don't think he belongs in there. But he does kind of belong in the you know, intellectual dark web or something. And yeah, he, he's, he's like a sort of intellectual sort of conservative red pillar yeah right to you know some of that see more, it's more like the red pill community kind of co-ops a lot of what he says rather than you know but like i know how kind of prevalent his kind of books are and i think there's a bigger issue beyond the intel community essentially i, I yeah. think there is this is a kind of extreme community that is relatively small, but below that, there's a large number of men who are incredibly lonely, and that there's something more to be discussed there. And I think at the moment, the way in which we talk about these issues, incel is a playground. Insult, for example, or if you aren't getting laid, what's wrong with you? You know, it's your yeah. sort yourself out, mm-hmm. and that kind of that just adds to the stigma. Yeah, hope. Hopefully, you know, that's a slightly separate issue, but it's related. We can move to a bit more of a empathetic conversation, which I think fundamentally is what your work's been about and what I think this podcast is about. You know, that's yeah. what we want, want to hear is people willing to have empathetic conversations and willing to take some flack and just stepping out of line like that. Nama, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Um, hope you yeah, continue your work and I look forward to you know, having some kind of more about your academic studies and seeing how things progress in this space and hopefully we can chat again soon. My pleasure, Leo. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stepping Out of Line podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, listen without the adverts and hear bonus episodes, sign up to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash stepping out of line that's www.patreon.com slash stepping out of line if you want to find out more about what Leo's getting up to then check out his twitter at leo underscore fh that's at leo underscore fh and if you want to find out more about nama and what she's up to then make sure to check out her twitter that's at nama kates at nama kates Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you listen to the next one.